0: podcast series by DU History. My name is Terence Donovan and I'm librarian of this year's session. On today's episode we're speaking with Dr Sudhir Hazari Singh, a lecturer in French politics and history in Balliol College, Oxford. Dr Hazari Singh is with us today to discuss his brilliant book Black Spartacus, Epic Life of Toussaint Louverture, a leading figure in the Haitian slave revolt and a contributor to the eventual Haitian War of Independence against France. We really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you do too. So dear Hazara Singh, thank you very much for coming on to uh, DU Histories many moons ago. Thank you very much for having me, Terence. For those of our, our listeners um, who aren't aware, um, you wrote quite a special, an impactful book, um, uh, Black Spartacus: The Epic Life of Toussaint Louverture, um, about the, the life of one of the most um, important people in in the eighteenth um, and nineteenth century Caribbean, but also for anti-colonialism um, and really the, the the modernization of, or say the, the modern image of the Caribbean as we know it. And um, for those listeners of ours who aren't aware of Toussaint Louverture or his life, um, how could we begin to understand the life of a figure who began his own life as a slave and went on to lead one of the most famous slave revolts in modern history? How how can we understand that that journey in a life that um really transformed the the, the area in which he lived in?
1: Well, it's it's an extraordinary story at one level, of course, because this is someone born into slavery who um goes on to become not only the leader of a revolution, but also a general in the French Republican army and the governor of a French colony. Um, I think that's a kind of exceptional trajectory. And um, uh, that's why I think Toussaint Louverture is such a remarkable figure. On the other hand, I think um, his story um, is not exceptional if you think about it from the point of view of the history of slavery. Because one of the things that we've been learning, thanks to the research really of scholars over the last two or three decades, is that um, the history of slavery comes along with um, the history of resistance to slavery. Uh, In other words, acts of resistance to slavery are not um, marginal or peripheral, Um, they are integral. To the story of um, uh, slavery as an institution, and what we find, even if we just stay in the Caribbean or uh, or in um, uh, in the Americas, is that acro- right right across the 19- the 18th century, you have um, instances of revolts, insurrections, rebellions, and indeed, um, enslaved men and women um, fought the institution. Uh, that, that oppressed them um, from the moment that they, were, that they were captured. You know, these acts of resistance very often begin uh, in the so-called Middle Passage, you know, when they're being carried across the Atlantic to, uh, to, these, um, to these sites of enslavement. So, um, and, and one of the things I, I therefore discovered in the context of the, the Haitian Revolution, which is this revolution that takes place in the French colony of Saint-Domingue, in the late 18th century, is that it was really preceded by um, a number of um, insurrections in uh, in neighboring islands and locations, um, notably in in Jamaica. Um, And uh, of course, after the Haitian Revolution, um, there are further uh, stories of uh, uh, resistance and, and insurrection. So I think when we think about Toussaint Louverture and his own story, he is, in one sense, completely exceptional because of his very singular trajectory. But if you think about it from the point of view of the history of resistance and collective resistance to slavery, he is—he um, is an archetype.
0: The 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 colony of Saint Domingue. Um, I, I remember uh, reading that it was. Um, one of the most prosperous um of the french colonies in the region um a gem or a jewel was often the the kind of language that was attributed towards this this beautiful part of the world that also was uh, a huge contributor to the to the colonial operations of of the french empire and that also Reading it from the perspective of someone who in Ireland that is also a, a, a was also a long-standing colony, I couldn't um, help but appreciate the the unique um, the many many differences between the the Haitian um, kind of anti-colonial efforts and eventual independence movements and the Irish. Um, what i really was drawn to was the the incredibly diverse um colony of Sa- santa um as 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 you cover um it's it's not merely europeans and uh african african slaves and african descended um colonists but it's it's also a, a mixed it, there's a huge mixed race community that you know is in some instances very much a part of european society european colonial society and in other instances very much um seen as lower than their their European counterparts or members of the, the plantation community. How in in your research have you found how the the racial and the many cultural identities um that were within Toussaint or in which he interacted with, how did you find that in in and how it chronicled his journey and how it produced the person that that you covered in your book was Toussaint in in some ways the product of such a a, of a rich environment that he could he in uh your members of European high society but also felt equally comfortable um with people he had spent time with in the plantation is is Toussaint in some ways an example of, of how rich a uh, culture, um, both racially and, and cultural identity um, of Domingue.
1: Yes, I think, um, I mean, if, if one is thinking of the, the comparison with Ireland, I mean, there are similarities, of course. And indeed, one of them is that actually the, the United Irishmen are admirers already of the Haitian revolution and that, and that connection with, uh, with Haiti um is one that remains part of you know what you might call the the irish republican imagination and and indeed even the irish republican imagination as it travels i mean one of the things i was very um happy to find is that uh irish americans in the in the later 19th century and in the early 20th century when they're celebrating their heroes they're celebrating um, also the, the heroes of the Haitian Revolution. Uh, and I talk about some of that connection in, um, in my book. Um, but of course, the, the situations that they're facing um, are 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 different in, in many respects. Um, for one thing, the um the colonial power um in in the case of the Ireland is much closer. And that that really has an impact on on the way in which um, the um uh, the whole revolutionary project can develop um, the the ratio of settlers to to local population is um is also different um so these are different situations um i think um one of the things that is very striking about um the haitian case uh, um, in terms of the um the, the racial complexities um is that Toussaint de Vertue is someone who um, is always aware of the need to try and build um, a coalition um, uh, uh, which would unite people across the different racial barriers. And that's the sense in which I think he is fundamentally a, a Republican. Because there are th- there were, uh, all the way up to and including um, after the, the, the victory of the, the Haitians against the French, There were people who wanted uh, much more um, homogenous, who had much more homogenous visions of what uh, the the self-determination of Saint-Domingue should look like. Uh, And of course, uh, in some sense, you might argue that after 1804, especially in the early days um, of the revolution, it was a vision that was actually very different from that of Toussaint Louverture, which triumphed, because of course the new independent state of Haiti is one where um, there are very few white people who, um, who are allowed to remain um, um uh in the um, in the newly independent state. Uh, the few, the few thousand that were still there are. Killed by um, by Desalines. so and that's absolutely not the kind of vision that Toussaint Louverture had in mind. He he genuinely wanted to build in in Saint Domingue what we would call today a multiracial republic. And in that sense, if we're thinking about contempor- contem- more contemporary analogies, I think the the contrast the, the comparison with South Africa and with Mandela is actually quite a quite an appropriate one. Um, you know, Mandela, who is imprisoned and um, uh, 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 marginalized by the um, by the settler elite, um, and then who eventually comes out and extend the, extends the hand of forgiveness. That was really the way Toussaint L'Ouverture thought about um, racial coexistence and racial harmony. But in terms of um, his inspiration, um, one of the other things I try and uh, talk about in, in the book is that Toussaint is someone who uh, draws on a a wide variety of um, intellectual, cultural, and political uh, uh, models. Uh, Of course, for a long time, uh, people thought about him, thanks to C. L. R. James's wonderful book, The Black Jacobins. People thought about Toussaint and the Haitian revolutionaries, essentially as disciples of the French Revolution, you know, hence the title, Black Jacobins. And of course, there's a, there's a large element of truth in that, but, but the Haitian revolutionaries and Toussaint were more than that. Um, they were more than that because they also uh, had um, African cultural and political and military traditions that they uh, uh, embodied and, and put into practice. And they are also um, men and women of the Caribbean. And that Caribbean identity is something that matters very much to... To these revolutionaries. And in fact, this takes takes one back to, um, to the first point. When you think about the history of resistance to slavery, you know, the, 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 the enslaved men and women of Saint-Domingue didn't, didn't need to wait for the French Revolution to think that slavery was um, unjust and needed to be fought, fought, fought against. They were fighting it um, all, all through the 18th century. And indeed, one of the great figures which, who was still celebrated in Haiti today, almost as a kind of one of their founding fathers in terms of their fight for uh, dignity and self-determination, is a former slave called Macandale, um, who um, launched a... a a rebellion in the mid-18th century. So when Toussaint Louverture is coming, bringing all these elements together in the late 18th century, he's drawing on on these very broad and rich traditions, some of them Caribbean, some of them European, and some of them African.
0: Um, Just to expand on that um, statement you made, that. Toussaint's idea of a saint was this pluralistic um, republic in, in in accordance with his his real um, his real uh, affinity for French republican values. Um, what what came across in the book as well, and I think what what first brought forward the um, the comparisons uh, that the few comparisons I suppose with uh, with Ireland were the the. The strength of Toussaint's personal uh, piety, um, the the way in which his Catholicism guided many of his decisions, and also shaped his his moral view on how Saint-Domingue society was was to function. Are there any moments in Toussaint's life where his his republican values, his his uh, commitment to uh, healing the racial divide, his concerted campaign to abolish slavery uh and again his his catholic piety are there many instances that you can point to uh, and i don't need to put you on the spot but where all of these influences and 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 principles that he really adhered to were in direct conflict with one another where the the rubber meets the road if you will that Toussaint in how he imagined the Saint Domingue that he would help liberate and the community that he would help liberate, where the reality very much w- was different from what he he may have envisioned.
1: Well, I think I think it was um, it was a constant, almost everyday struggle. And one of the things we have to bear in mind is that um, he is living uh, at a time uh, and in a kind of um, historical moment, when um, you know the French Revolution is itself under attack, so um, these are not moments where um, uh, 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 revolutionaries have the have any kind of breathing space I mean they rarely do anyway. I mean if we look at the history of the last two three hundred years, revolutions are always faced with very powerful um, forces of opposition and this is especially the case in the late 18th century when he's having to face the might of actually three empires, plus the United States, you know. Toussaint has to deal at various moments with the French, with the British, with the Spaniards, um, and with the, the big brother, uh, who's not quite yet become the giant that um, that we see later on, but which is already um, eager to play a very uh, sp- um, uh, important role in the um, politics and and in the economic arrangements of of domingue So of course you know he's under pressure all the time. Um, and indeed one of the one of the issues I find with some of the some of the literature and some of the people who criticise him, I mean I think it's fine to criticise him. Of course he wasn't he was by no means perfect, and um, and there were um, there were problems that he could probably have handled better. But the, the fierce pressure that someone like that was under, and I haven't even mentioned the fact that he's black and, and a former slave. I mean, that adds to it as well, of course. The fierce pressure that he is under puts him in very um, delicate situations that he's constantly having to, to work his way through. So, uh, you know, in an ideal world, for example, he would not want to, to be in conflict with, um, with the mixed race population. But he knows from experience that many of the leaders of the mixed race uh, uh, population in Sandamang are actually very apprehensive at the thought of um, majority rule. Um, you know, they don't want to be um, in a in a political community where black people have um, the majority. And by the way, this is a, another thing that if you look at South Africa, you find you find that um, you find that tension, right? um um, so um that's something that he has to navigate and and when there is in effect a very fierce uh uh internal battle in 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 1799 and 1800 against the mixed race um rebels in the south to has to take action that you know contradicts in, in in some respects his fundamental principles of charity and forgiveness but You know he has to do what is necessary to to maintain his power um, um, in that sense Um, if we think about his relationship with uh, neighboring countries and and with the revolution you find this um, contradiction um, between um, wanting to preserve the autonomy of Saint-Domingue on the one hand And, um, you know, dealing with people who um, are not particularly savoury in his view and his relationship with the British, I think, is, is very characteristic of that, even as he's fighting them and kicking them out of the colony. You know, he fights the British between 1793 and 1798 and forces them off the island. But as soon as he kicks them out in 1798, he tries to establish um, economic relationships with them, not because he loves the British, but because he realizes that the British have command of the seas and that if if the British decide to blockade Sandermang, you know, it doesn't it it then doesn't matter, then would not matter. how, how much sugar, how much coffee, how much cocoa, how much indigo the colony produced, they wouldn't be able to sell it and nothing would be able to come in. So uh, Realpolitik determines that he has to then um, come to a compromise with the British. And that compromise even includes um, stopping attempted revolutions in places like Jamaica. So. The, the, this is what you have to do when you are revolutionary um, in a hostile world and faced with enemies that are much more powerful than you. Sometimes you have to um, make compromises and sometimes you have to even, you know, put your basic principles aside. But that was the price that he felt um, saint had to pay in order to um, survive
0: i was really um interested by what you said there about the his use of realpolitik and this kind of taking the surroundings that sanderman had and maximizing what he could deliver for for the for the people and the connolly that he called home uh in a lot of uh discussions about the book uh, a lot of attention is given towards uh, your references to uh, the subtleties of of Toussaint and his his mastery of ambiguity when when dealing with, as you say, the three empires and the emergent United States and um, that he had during his time in power. Um, as saint is seen as one of the most prosperous of all the colonies in the, in the Caribbean of, of any of the empires, what can these interactions that a single leader from a single colony has has extensive dealings with Spanish, French, British, and and of obviously American um, commercial interests, military leaders. What does this tell us about the the hub and this kind of this small small part of the world that is at the forefront of of, of global politics and commerce? What does it tell us about the Caribbean as it's in some ways an extension or at least a proxy within these imperial rivalries, but at the same time, there are people who call it home that are in many ways caught in the middle. How do we understand Toussaint's role um, in all of this?
1: Well, I think one of the things that again, thanks to the scholarship of um, the last generation of of researchers, um, last couple of generations, we now have a very good sense that these, this was an interconnected world. Um, uh, I mean, global history is a, is, is, a, is a concept that is somehow sometimes overused, but I think it really applies when we think about this part of the Atlantic, because what you see a, are multiple influences that are crisscrossing each other. You know, the French Revolution shapes what happens in, in Saint-Domingue, uh, what happens in Saint-Domingue shapes what's happening um, in France and in Britain. Um, uh, revolts, uh, insurrections that happen in, in Saint-Domingue uh, uh, have an impact on the politics of neighboring islands and have an impact. You know, American historians are now starting finally to take seriously the idea that actually the American Revolution wasn't a kind of self-sufficient entity, but that if you want to really properly understand its early history, and and especially understand its very problematic relationship with the institution of slavery, uh, what was happening in Saint-Domingue was absolutely crucial. You know, the the settler, the um, colonists in in the United States were terrified um, by what was happening in uh, in domingue and um, uh, and many and, and that reinforced in, in in many of their minds. Um, their hostility towards uh, emancipation. And so um, what what we see as a result of of focusing in a kind of slightly broader way on the the international relations of the Haitian revolution um, is that this is a completely interconnected world. Um, There's a lovely book that uh, was actually published by Verso a few years ago, but it was based on a doctorate which was written um, in the 1980s by a man called Julius Scott. And the book's title is The Common Wind. And uh, what Scott does magnificently, and this was long before people were talking about global history, was to show how um, stories, news, um, uh, subversive ideas were actually traveling um, across the Caribbean region. Uh, And he focuses very much on the role played by sailors, Um, and by ships. Uh, These were the the vehicles, as it were, the instruments of communication, and they brought um, people, they brought ideas, they brought objects which um, uh, connected this part of the world to each other. And so the the absolutely fundamental point here is that we can't really treat these, these events in isolation from one another anymore. And we really need to think about these interconnections in a much more um, serious and fundamental way the
0: importance of agriculture as a, as, a, as i've said the the commercial viability of the colony which at, which at one point is incredibly prosperous for its 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 ruling uh, elite the the disruptions the the obvious disruptions that uh, a violent um, revolt would would cause to agriculture, which is the bedrock of, of Saint-Domingue's wealth. Uh, as you've said, the eventual Haiti that is formed um, much later after, or sorry, um, after uh, Toussaint L'Ouverture's uh, passing is very much hostile to the, the the white and the, the mixed race uh, landholding hold, elite. The again, as Toussaint attempted to reconstruct the the, the breadbasket, if you will, of of Saint Domingue to ensure its its sustainability um, as a as a, as, a, as an entity. How do we understand the um, the plantation in Saint Domingue's story? Uh, how do we understand the attempts to reconfigure it for uh, a population in Santa Bank that had made in advancements in their own eyes but without a all revolutions have to have to have to pay the bills eventually so how do we understand the the evolution of, of the plantation um, for a, a Santa Bank community that was looking forward and not backwards and what role did Toussaint play in that
1: Well, it's an absolutely key question. And of course, in in all major revolutions in in the global south, the agrarian question is is an absolutely fundamental one. You know, you think of what happens in China, or indeed, you know, um, the Russian Revolution and and, and the question of uh, uh, the reorganisation of agriculture. These are always absolutely pivotal questions. Um, I mean, I think... A couple of fundamental points to bear in mind uh, uh, um, to get a handle on this story. The first is that um, when, and and you know, the, the, the Haitian revolution starts in 1791 with uh, an insurrection of the enslaved. So uh, uh, pretty much uh, there's a kind of lever en masse of of the entire slave population. Uh, all of them who all of whom had been working on, on plantations up to that point. And so by 1795, um agricultural production has fallen pretty much to zero. If if you take 1789 as your baseline, right? Uh over a four-year period, um, everything just grinds to a halt. So by the mid-1790s, um, and Toussaint Louverture by then is not quite yet in charge, but but he's a kind of rising star. But he knows already that unless something is done to get this agricultural production going again, the whole project, right, whether it's the, the Republican project or the, 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 the kind of political project, um, there's no point having any kind of project if you, if you can't uh, revive agriculture. And Toussaint's solution, um, which he sticks to, is to revive the plantations. Um, to get uh, 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 the agricultural workforce back to the plantations um, of course um, people are paid a wage and uh, 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 but he imposes fairly drastic um, uh, uh, disciplinary conditions on them uh, and 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 towards the end of his rule um, you know the the conditions are very very uh, tough for the workforce um, some people even Uh, feel that uh, their conditions are not fundamentally different from um, from slavery Uh, which I which um, I mean objectively I don't think is right because people were still being paid a wage but they were working very hard Um, there was there was a kind of military discipline in the plantations but for Toussaint this is the price that has to be paid for keeping keeping the um, keeping the economy going and of course he he has results right by 1800 1801 um, in, in in the kind of key areas um, production has risen by 50 60 sometimes 70 percent so um, economically um, uh, his revolution is a success but as I as I um, as I recognize in the book there's a very high political cost um, and uh, Toussaint's rule is increasingly contested by um, many of his own supporters, and and there are uh, revolts in 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 1801 um, uh, against against his rule. So um, the situation is not um, uh, absolutely ideal. But of course, all of this, uh, all of these internal divisions, are swept away when the French arrive in 1802 and and invade, because. Uh, uh, everybody recognizes that the French um, have come to basically re-enslave um, the, the black population of Saddamai. So at that point, everybody joins the the fight for national national liberation. So this becomes a, a war of national liberation. But what I think is interesting is that after, um, after 1804, after Haiti becomes independent and Toussaint is no longer in the picture, um his successors, his immediate successors, Desalines, um, retains the same um plantation system as uh, as Toussaint uh, and uh faces the same sorts of difficulties. There's a there's a very good book uh again which came out a few years ago by uh, by a Cambridge scholar called John Henry gonzalez and it's called Maroon Republic, and he tells the story of Haitian independence and the aftermath of Haitian independence in a rather different way from me, I mean we don't we don't tell it in, in, in quite the same way uh, and his emphasis is actually on um, the peasants um, really trying to build a, a kind of autonomy for themselves against the elites um, and, and and in his view those elites even included um the elites of the of the haitian state Um, so um there were very clearly tensions um uh, in this relationship
0: that reference to desaline the, the the dominant figure of of what becomes haiti after uh toussaint uh passes away a lot of what defines the formative decades of of the independent haiti is a sense of chaos but also uh, most most tragically um infighting amongst the haitians themselves um, because of the the inability to direct a, a kind of a a stable course there is a real content there it how the, the best course of action is Is quite a contested topic. How do we understand, and how do we, or more so, how do we uh, begin to recognize the work that Toussaint performed and brought the stability to Saint-Domingue for so many years? Was the face of Saint-Domingue? How do we appreciate the the stability he brought when we when we look at what what transpired after his passing? Is it, is it truly the 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 genius of a single individual that can hold hold things in order and eventually when like all leaders they pass, was was there an inevitability to the the contested um the, the domination of Haitian politics after after Toussaint passed away.
1: Um well a couple of points. One is that, you know, revolutions very rarely um, lead to stability immediately. I mean, we take the obvious example of the French Revolution. It took the French about a hundred years. I mean literally a hundred years. It's only in the late 19th century that the Republic, as we know it today, um becomes uh, a kind of stable and almost irreversible entity. And even then, you know, after the late 19th century, there still is an attempt at uh, revanche um, during the Second World War with Vichy. we shouldn't we shouldn't judge the haitians by standards that we would apply differently to um, to other revolutions you know the soviet revolution or the chinese revolutions revolutions very rarely produce um stable orders in the short run and, and haiti was no different in that respect um what made things worse for the haitians of course is that um from the mid 1820s um, they faced economic hardship um, that was imposed on them by the former or colonial power the French as a, in exchange for uh, uh, diplomatic recognition and a lifting of uh, an economic blockade basically forced the Haitian authorities to um, uh, Pay an indemnity, um, which you know Thomas Piketty, the uh, French economist, has calculated in today's money, uh, amounts to about thirty billion euros. Right, so the Haitian economy was crippled. The, the kind of new uh, rising uh, uh, Haitian economy was crippled um, pretty much from the outset, and that's. Uh, largely, not completely, but largely what explains the kind of um, political uh, instability that you see in Haiti across the the 19th century and and the 20th. And of course, the Americans invade in in the early 20th century. So foreign intervention continues to have a a dramatic and negative impact on the internal politics of Haiti. Uh, But their own elites um, often don't help uh that is also the case and and I think one of the things that um I think the story of Toussaint Louverture brings out is that um perhaps he had made the right calculation because one of the big uh debates among the revolutionaries in the late 1790s is whether to to be independent right or to remain under the protection of the French and of course Toussaint Louverture's project uh, that's the kind of beauty of it and the coherence of it is that he didn't want independence. Uh, he was always very clear that um, he wanted um, to re- for Saint-Domingue to remain part of the French Republican family, right? He's In that sense, he is someone who believes in um, the, um, the values of the French Revolution, uh, but he believes in it not just um, ideologically, but he believes in it tactically you know, he he realizes that in a world where there are empires and, um, you know, predatory uh, forces that are trying to um, uh, 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 exploit uh, Saint-Domingue, it would probably be to Saint-Domingue's advantage to have the the protection of the French Republic. And that was the project that he was trying to to bring to to fruition. The French were too too narrow-minded to understand it. And of course, Napoleon, by the time he uh, comes to power, he's not really a a believer in this Republican project anyway, because of course he he brings back slavery. But had the French Republic taken a slightly different route, I think what would have been interesting would have been to to see whether this experiment in what you might call colonial Republican autonomy could have worked out. Um, Because what we know for sure is that in the 19th century, Haitian independence um, didn't succeed in in creating a a thriving um, uh, uh, self-governing community. But I think the main reason for that is that this this new independent black post-colonial state was just faced with um, fierce opposition fierce opposition from the french from the british and even for large parts of the 19th century from the americans and that's exactly what toussaint l'ouverture was trying to avoid
0: the the, cons- the i suppose the what was deemed by his 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 um, allies as a as a conti- conciliatory stance towards the many racial groups um, in saint domingue um toussaint was from what i what i've read in your book uh, a pluralist as i as i've said a, at heart uh, what do you think what what skills in his military training his life on the on the plantation what what life experiences do you think aside from the ones i've just listed were were useful stepping stones, and in some ways, the preparation he didn't know was coming for a life that he didn't know he was going to have. What parts of Toussaint's life do you think really formed him into the the leader that he came to be for the people
1: of Sandamac? That's a fascinating question. Um, And I think one of the things that Um, we know about him is his capacity to um, absorb all sorts of influences and um, turn them into um, uh, potential sources of strength. And so um, I think, you know, the biggest challenge, of course, if you're an enslaved person is survival, right? And uh, after that trying to create a space for yourself which is uh, one of autonomy and perhaps dignity and one of the things that we we find with Toussaint in all those decades that he's growing up on this plantation is that he not only manages to survive but he also manages to create uh, a position of power for himself within this plantation because he eventually rises to uh the role of coachman which is basically you know the sort of assistant to the plantation manager and he uses that position not only to protect himself and and his family but also to try and mitigate uh, as much as possible um, the kind of more extreme effects of, of 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 the institution of slavery so what you already see him doing on a smaller scale um, is something that he sets out to do um, on a much grander, uh, 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 <clears throat> on a much grander scale. When he becomes a revolutionary leader, which is to, um, I mean, two things: which is to kind of exploit situations to to his advantage, but also even when he's faced with um, a correlation of forces or a balance of power which is unfavorable, to try and turn those situations to his advantage. Um, build small pockets of freedom which over time can uh, create the potential for um something bigger all of those skills he learned when he was on the plantation um, the other thing that is very striking is his closeness to nature um you know he when he began uh, working on the plantation he, he never as far as we know he never worked in the fields um uh which were which were the deadliest uh, Part uh, of the of the plantation, as as we all know now, um, he was fortunate in that respect um, because his father was um, uh, had been an influential official in in the um, in the kingdom of Alada. Um, his father was able to to secure, we think, um, uh, uh, slightly um, uh, more benign positions. So he he starts as a shepherd, um, but that builds in him this kind of very close relationship with nature, which is an absolutely integral part of his personality and and of his politics. And and, and this this belief in harmony that he has comes in part from this uh, communion that he has um, with nature. Um, So that too is something that comes out of his experiences in the plantation. Um, There's a very famous saying of his which he often repeated, which that, uh, you know, he thought of himself um, as someone who, although he was born into slavery, um, he had a sense of freedom that was given to him by nature. He always used that expression, a sense of freedom given by nature. And that comes from um, his times in the plantation.
0: The the inevitable comparisons um, that are made, which obviously in some ways are a bit overblown between two soldiers who who rise, rise to power in Lovature and Napoleon, Napoleon being one of the, if not the chief instigator of of the downfall of Lovature. Both these men, it has to be said, did enjoy meteoric rises and both men had extended periods of exile in their their later lives. What, in a military sense or uh, an institutional sense, these two men were were drawn to? What experiences in in the military do you think showed where the two men were both similar, but also how they 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 deviated? Because as 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 it's evident in the book, they're they're very different men and how they they conduct themselves but they they do have these two overarchings and similar um similarities and this this considerable time spent in a military unit is what in some ways unites them what what do you believe uh, the military taught both men and how do you think they they applied it to the rest of their lives
1: well this is the age of um you know, which produces a new type of um, political leader, uh, the charismatic leader, um, you know, Washington, Louverture, Bonaparte, um, uh, uh, Simon Bolivar in, um, uh, in Latin America, Pauli uh, in Corsica as well. So these are figures that um, are the product of this new revolutionary culture, which is emerging and which is emerging across the Atlantic. right? So this is something that goes beyond even the, the, the French setting. So um, it's, the, it's the combination of the fact that you have a new type of warfare, uh, which creates a demand for uh, 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 mass military mobilization, but also creates the necessity for these uh, mobilizations if they are to be successful to be led by very skillful um, generals. And, and, and the people I've just listed in, in, in different ways were all uh, products of this military um, revolutionary culture. However, I think there's a big difference really between, uh, I mean, many differences, but a big difference between the sort of Napoleonic strand of it, which is imperial, and, and which is about conquest and occupation and 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 the imposition really of um uh, french rule on on others because that's what that's what napoleon goes on to become um you know a charismatic leader who um who builds an empire basically and uh louverture uh, uh who stands for i think the original republican principle which is um uh uh you know, you fight for the sovereignty and the self-determination of your people, and you don't um, uh, uh, try and conquer others, and you don't um, uh, try and impose your your will against um, uh, the will of other peoples. If you like, there's a sort of original R- Rousseauist vision of um, of of uh, republican self-determination and autonomy, and the one. The one the person who embodies this is um is is Toussaint Louverture if we are to uh
0: if we are to look at the the Haiti af- just after Toussaint Louverture that's in the midst of its pursuit of independence from France this imposition of French rule that y- y- you talk about isn't just restoration of uh french dominance of law and order it, it's as you said they're trying to not just restore the rule they're trying to restore the institution of slavery how are we to or what is the uh the view of loverture in in what's emerging as as haiti uh, the santa bank colony how are we to understand how loverturean uh, values were were applied in the aftermath of his uh, death, as the the very conflict which, as you as you write about in the book, restored uh, L'Overture to a, a younger version of himself, where existing differences were set aside in the face of what was an existential existential threat. How are we to understand? Th- Haiti's application of lavaturian principles, as it as it both fended off the f- forces of, of of one of the strongest uh, military uh, powers of the time, but also how it introspectively f- began to unravel what kind of nation it hoped to become.
1: Well, I think there's there's elements of continuity. Um, I mean, of course, the Haitian state is different in the way that I've mentioned earlier, um, because there's no place for white settlers in it, and that's not the kind of state that Toussaint would have wanted. Um, but you know, one of, I mean, two, two of Toussaint's fundamental principles um, that he um, that he really lives by um, and and lives by in in practice uh, throughout the 1790s is on the one hand um the principle of um black unity right he's constantly he's constantly tirelessly telling uh the black men and women of Saint-Domingue that they should not allow themselves to be divided that their their strength comes from their unity and that there will be many attempts to pit them against each other and they should always be uh uh, be aware of those attempts and, and and fight them off and and that is a principle which to some successes, um, continue to uphold, and the other is um, the the need to be wary of um, attempts by external powers to um, to encroach upon the um, the, the sovereignty of, of the island. Um Toussaint was someone who was always very clear that. Um, um, you know, the interests of Saint-Domingue should take priority over the interests of anything else. And that was part of the reason why he ended up on a collision course with the French, because of course the French thought that Saint-Domingue being a colony of France, um, the interests of France should be paramount um, and the interests of Saint-Domingue should only be accessory or secondary. But uh, in that sense, Toussaint um, thought in a much more, uh, in a much bolder way, And you could say that he prepared the ground, you know, almost kind of conceptually for independence, even though he didn't actually want it himself. But he was trying to walk this tightrope, right, of of actually creating these kind of pockets of space and, and freedom for himself and for his people. Without triggering um, a mass uh, response by the French and by others, but in that sense, I think there is there is continuity between between him and his successors. Not to mention the fact that all of these successors in the in the short run are people who were, um, uh, uh, you know. Uh, trained and, you know, cut their political teeth under L'ouverture himself, not least Dessalines. Dessalines is Toussaint's lieutenant um, for much of the 1790s and early 1800s. He ends up betraying Toussaint um, uh, in 18, uh, in 1802, but, you know, this is how the story goes sometimes in, in revolutions.
0: Just to expand on what you were talking about there, um, about this both continuity and, in some ways, um, dismissal of other parts of Toussaint's legacy. Obviously Toussaint, in his both his lifetime, but also um, beyond his own lifetime, his influence grew and grew and grew to parts of the world that were not, maybe not even conscious of his activities as he lived uh, in Saint-Domingue. Um, for those who sought racial equality, be it through legislative means, military means, um, be their goals the end of um, race, race-based race discriminatory provisions or even the abolition of institutions like such as slavery uh, in the United States. How does, how do we, un- what does the the re- reputation of of lovature as uh, a military figure a governing figure evolve into this transcendent figure for and source of inspiration for for communities all around the world as as they strove um, to achieve uh, the the equality under the law that as you've said lovature, was adamant that everyone, according to the Republican values that he so cherished, were entitled to.
1: Well, I think what's really interesting about the way Toussaint Louverture's legend unfolds um, from the nineteenth century, early nineteenth century onwards, is that, like all great um, political myths, it's a very, um, it's a very malleable myth. Um, Serves it expresses itself in a number of different dimensions, and um, and it can play on uh, uh, a number of different tones. So, uh, and you see this, for example, in the United States, where um, you know, of course, uh, uh, black people are fighting for their emancipation, but some people think that that emancipation is best. Uh, 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 promoted or pursued by um, talking about, you know, uh, 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 charity, compassion, um, you know, following the kind of Christian route, if you like. And and Louverture is is very appealing in this respect. And um, when you look at all the people who celebrate him, who come from that Christian tradition in in, in the United States, they celebrate his compassion, his his forgiveness, uh, and so on. And, and they even kind of make things up that, you know, he forgave everyone, including the French. Um, but they're stressing um, his kind of, if you like, nonviolent side. But there were, of course, uh, people in, in the United States who celebrated the, the military, the, the sort of martial quality of Louverture and of the Haitian Revolution. And they, they stress on the contrary, the fact that, you know, he gave an eye for an eye, and sometimes two eyes for one eye, you know, um, and, and and this notion of what, you know, what what later would come to be called black power is, is really a very key ingredient of his legend, you know, this is someone who just didn't meekly sit by and wait for emancipation to come, he, he you know he and and the people that he led um, fought for it and and there were a lot of people um you know enslave communities across the atlantic um there was a firm belief also that emancipation would only come through through um resistance and through uh through through military means and 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 what's wonderful about l'ouverture is that he's able to appeal to both of these traditions Right, there's a kind of Christian version of the of the legend, but there's also a kind of martial version, and and in that sense, and and the other thing which is striking is that you see it play out uh, in the English speaking world uh, as much as in the French speaking world, and even in some elements of the of the Spanish speaking world. So it's a, it's a transnational. Um, uh, cosmopolitan, um, multi-dimensional myth, which um, you know irrigates all sorts of, nourishes all sorts of um, struggles. You know the, the fight for emancipation from slavery, but it, it it lives on even in the 20th century in, in anti-colonial movements. And, and you see, to celebrate you are being celebrated um, in um, in in Africa, uh, in Asia. Uh, uh all the way through the the 20th century
0: Oh, so if we were to look at this model figure um like you've discussed the the legend as you again that has unfolded um and the the tales that are beginning to be spun about toussaint and his incredible life which maybe. <laughs> Strong into certain legends, which may no figure could have possibly lived up to, I suppose. Toussaint is this, and and just like Mackendal, who you, who cited as well, are these fatherly figures um, for the the nation that is Haiti. Uh, since Haiti has achieved its independence uh, not long after Lavater passed away, it like you said there were these disagreements between continuity and uh, new directions about what kind of society haiti wanted to be how are we to look at haiti in modern times is lovature the man um, the person that is captured in your view or has there been a kind of an elevation of lovature to this larger than life figure uh and do many haitians like as you've referenced to, do many Haitians know that he never wanted to to fully break that link with France? Is 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 L'Overture and all of his nuances is he captured in? Do you believe in the the national imagination of of Haiti?
1: Well, um, what's what's always interesting when you talk to Haitians is how um, you know people have different views. Um, and, and that's true, of I think any country which has emerged into um, into freedom after a, a kind of national liberation struggle. I mean, Ireland Ireland is no different in that respect. That people, you know, people have favourites and 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 people that they like more and less. Um, and I think if one is being objective, I think the over time, the person who is really celebrated as the as the founding father, as it were, and, and, and it's entirely appropriate that it should be so, is Dessalines, not Toussaint Louverture, because Dessalines was the man who was there. Dessalines was the man who, um, you know, faced the French uh, in 1803, 1802 and 1803. He is the man who, um, you know, defeated them and um, and declared independence, and 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 especially given that Louverture was um, close to the French, that there, is, there was and, and there remains in Haiti uh, a belief among many people that he was perhaps a little too close to the French. And of course he was captured by the French, right? And, and one of the things that people in Haiti, and, and you can't blame them for that belief, is that the French are not uh, trustworthy, right? Uh, I mean, they, they captured Toussaint Louverture who was their, their closest ally. And then they saddled Haiti with this debt, which the Haitians never really uh, paid, didn't pay off fully until the mid 20th century. And and, and the French government still refuses to acknowledge that that this debt is something that they owe uh, reparations for. So um, Toussaint, I think Toussaint's image to to some extent has suffered in Haiti as a result of this perceived closeness of his. To the French. But I think as his biographer, I would say that Toussaint had absolutely no illusions about the French, right? He knew, even in his time, that they weren't really out there to um, do what was best for Saint-Domingue. But he was a he was a realist and he believed that uh, the best way, you know, I just repeat the point, the best. The best way to guarantee a stable future for the colony was for it to remain um, in in alliance with the French, but he hoped that it would be an alliance where the French would would respect the um, the um, the autonomy of, of the colony and that turned out not to be the case. But But um, but having said all of that, there is, you know, if you go to Haiti today, you will see statues of Toussaint Louverture, schools named after him, um, you know, his 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 image appears on banknotes. So he is he is one of the national heroes, um, but perhaps not as as great as Dessalines.
0: One of the areas that I really enjoyed in the, in the latter section of the book was this cultural relevance that uh, L'Overture enjoyed, the the many um, cultural figures who cited him as a source of inspiration, the, the many uh, forms of entertainment or literature that were, as, as you've as you richly added to, uh, were based off L'Overture's life, um, be it the Pan-African movement's um, Leader Marcus Garvey, be the, the uh, extensive um, newspaper coverage in in black, uh, in 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 African American journalism in in the United States that that covered um, that covered Lovercher's life and 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 chronicled his his contributions. How are we to understand the the richness of L'Overture's life in 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 and the lessons that can can be learned from it but also the wisdom of his of his of his statements his writings his his contributions in a literary sense how are we to understand the mind of L'Overture? and and what do you believe it can tell us about the the caribbean and and Haiti writ large
1: well, I think his, um, his appeal is universal. Um, and, and in that sense, I think he is part of the sort of Republican pantheon, as as one might call it, um, he's a historical figure who, alongside others in the 18th and 19th century, fought for, um, uh, you know, dignity and equality. I mean, I think those are the two sides of um, of the same coin, as it were. Um, you know, he believed that black people were entitled to the same dignity as um, uh, 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 all other races were were given. Um, but he also, it, it wasn't just about dignity, it was also, and this is the sense in which he's a Republican. He, he believed um, fundamentally in, uh, inequal- in uh, uh, the principle of equality. And that, those are powerful messages, um, which I think um, are carried uh, partly by uh, uh, mass struggles. But you know, when, when we think about how mythologies work in politics, they're very often best um, represented by particular figures. So, in that in that kind of global pantheon of um, figures who were fought for uh republican dignity and republican equality I think Toussaint L'Ouverture is is right up there and um and it's a it's a legend that um that has uh sustained itself um not just among um black communities but although I think uh Telling that story uh, as it unfolds among Black communities is absolutely fascinating. I mean, I could have written a, a whole other book just on that, because what is what is remarkable is to see the extent to which Toussaint Louverture is is celebrated and, and idolized by by Black people. I mean, not just in the United States, but but especially there. And um, and and so yes, in that sense, this is. Uh, uh, a, a sort of um uh uh he's he's a kind of archetype of um the modern political hero in that sense um and of course we live in the age of um where people are now talking about black lives mattering and um you know fighting for continuing the struggle for uh, black dignity and black equality. And I I I I think Toussaint Louverture is one of the sort of spiritual uh, ancestors of the Black Lives Matter movement.
0: For our final question, um what I'd like to just talk about how there is a especially in 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 Ireland, there's a there's an insularity to a lot of our historical intrigue and in the english-speaking at large there's a kind of anglo-centric prism that we are drawn to in some ways lazily uh, english-speaking countries because we can immediately understand a lot of their their sources uh for our listeners who may not have had or may not have heard of tucson overture beforehand or um the the intricacies of how the inevitable state of haiti was was founded how has your research enriched your own understanding of uh, as you as you are from mauritius how has it uh, enriched your own understanding of what it what the franco sphere is the, the french-speaking world beyond france is in this region and out in globally how has it made you realize the 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 grandness but also the the, int- the intricacies of of communities around the world that share this language but as as you've covered in your book are, are so different from what many would attribute the, the the center of the francosphere in back in europe how has the your own view of what the French-speaking community has globally been changed by your research of Toussaint literature.
1: Well, I, I, it's a it's a really um, interesting question. And I think one of the things that's really impressed upon me is a point which um, post-colonial scholars now make um, as a general principle and which i think is is correct which is that too often when we study empires and and, and colonialism we make a kind of artificial distinction between um you know what's called the metropole on um, the mainland you know metropolitan france and uh and the periphery where where other things are happening and 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 the the implicit the implicit assumption is that there's a kind of physical separation, and that these are these are arenas where things are happening differently, and and indifferent, and, and the difference is not only in time, but but also in space, and and I now realize much much more clearly, having looked at uh, a so-called uh, a series of events uh, in the so-called periphery, that actually that distinction doesn't make any sense. That we need to think about these histories in a much more integrated way, and that, um, and you know, the history of France, the history of the revolution, and the history of the empire, of the Napoleonic empire, is absolutely and completely bound with uh, how um, how it dealt with the institution of slavery um, and how it dealt with uh, black men and women. Um, uh, I mean, the same is true of, of of the British, of the history of the British during this period. Um, I mean, I'm very struck that um, when you look at the British education system here, people still talk about Pitt the Younger as some kind of good guy, you know, who uh, uh, some people believe um, was uh, uh, hostile to the slave trade and uh, wanted to abolish it. The reality is that Pitt the Younger between 1793 and 1798 you know financed a war in Saint-Domingue to restore not only British uh, British power in, uh, or, or not restore but, but but to kind of establish British power in the colony but to restore slavery right um so um so that that distinction that people make between um Pitt the Younger and what he did um in Britain on British soil, and what what he was doing in, in in kind of colonial politics, it's it's a false one. You know, it's the same person who was carrying out this uh, war to restore slavery, uh, and I think the same with Napoleon. You know, the way we think about him um, needs to include and to incorporate um, what he was doing in relation to slavery. And, and, and these are difficult conversations sometimes the French find it very hard to um, make that um, integration because they would much rather think of Napoleon as a great war hero who you know perhaps unfortunately had these um nasty views about race and and slavery but but those those are things that they would rather um, uh, uh, put uh, Put in a kind of secondary position. They're not secondary. They're absolutely integral to that story. And I think the whole history of modern France, um, I think, starts to look rather different if you if you fully integrate what was happening into in, into the colonies, um, into uh, into into the way you tell the story of how 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 the uh, how these uh, French institutions developed. And this continues all the way until the Algerian War in the um, in the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties. You know, um, I guess another way of making this point is just that colonialism, I mean, slavery, slavery and colonialism are not peripheral to to the story of, of the mainland. They are absolutely integral. And that's what this um, that's what researching this book made me realize even more than. Uh, than I had uh, appreciated um, up to that point.
0: Uh, Stood here, Hazaria Singh, author of Black Spartacus, The Epic Life of Tuf San Lovature. Thank you so, so much for coming on as a guest for many months ago. Uh, This has been a a delightful conversation and we we really appreciate uh, you
1: speaking with us. Thank you very much, Terence, it was a pleasure.